1976, during a very cold spell that spanned a number of weeks in the country of Ireland, at least eight older people were found dead in their Dublin homes. Willie Birmingham, a Dublin fireman who discovered the remains of some of those people, along with a number of his friends, distributed posters to highlight that a section of over 60s and even over 70s uh, in Dublin were suffering cold, hunger, loneliness, depression, and illness, and dying alone. These volunteers began to collect and distribute donations of food and fuel and clothing and furniture and other items, and they initiated, initiated a search that building campaign. And it sought to draw attention to the conditions in which some of the elderly people were living in derelict city center buildings. Alone, A-L-O-N-E, is a charity organization in Ireland now, which was set up to highlight the issues facing older people living alone. Founded in 1977 by the same Willie Birmingham, the charity seeks to help elderly people who are living on their own who may feel isolated and lonely and to connect them with the necessary support services in their community. So the name ALONE is an acronym for the words A Little Offering Never Ends. A-L-O-N-E. ALONE states that it works with the one in five older people who are homeless, socially isolated, living in deprivation, or in some kind of crisis. The charity provides support of housing, befriending services, community response, and campaigning services to the elderly. Within uh, Glasven Cemetery in that area, the Alone Millennium Plot is used by this charity to bury older people who died without family or any other provisions for burial. In the year 2017, Alone celebrated its 40-year anniversary of doing this great community service for those who were alone. Alone. A message today entitled, Never Alone. Let's pray and ask God to lead us in his word today. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of fellowship and of friendship and of companionship. Thank you for the gift of your presence in our lives. Thank you that you have promised to be with us wherever your word is being taught and being shared. And so today... We ask that the word of God will come alive and that our hearts will be in tune to what you have for us. And we'll thank you for all the good that's done, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Never alone. C.S. Lewis, in his book Miracles, writes these words, quote, The presence of God is the most real thing we ever encounter. End quote. Now let's open our Bibles to the book of Exodus, chapter 33. 
And I'd like for you to follow with me as I read from chapter 33, verses 13 to 15, uh, to get us started. And it says, if you are pleased with me, this is Moses talking, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Now, Moses was a great leader. To lead a large number of people in the desert for so long was not an easy task. If they wandered in the desert for 40 years, Moses had received a training of 80 years before he was selected for this great job. God appeared to Moses in a dry bush, as we read back in Exodus chapter 3, and told him to go before King Pharaoh. Moses said in chapter 4 of Exodus and verse 10, but I'm not eloquent, I can't speak. I have a speech impediment. As a prince in Egypt, Moses was proud of his wisdom He was proud of his knowledge. He was proud of his background. But when he ran away from Egypt and was in the wilderness for 40 years, he could see for himself really how weak, how empty, how vacillating, how foolish he really was. It reminds me of the story of the very wealthy man who was kind of fond of reading. That was his favorite pastime. So much so that he prepared a list, a long list of books. And he bought them all, thinking that if he read all those books, he would really become a scholar. So one by one, he started reading them, and he read them all very carefully. And then after many years of reading, there were a lot of books. (laughs) His friends asked him, so what have you learned by reading these books? And here's what he said. By reading these books, I have learned that I know nothing. I've talked to people who are very highly educated with many degrees and many years of experience in their field who tell me that the longer and the the farther they go in their experimentation in their field and in learning their craft, the more they realize that they don't know more even than what they do know. So what have you learned, sir, by reading these books? He said, I've learned that I know nothing. You see, after reading the books, he discovered how foolish and empty he was. And you know, friends, this is our condition. When we are empty and foolish, we we make much noise, And an empty tin makes much noise. But Moses was proud in Pharaoh's palace, but now he's humble. Now he's seeing himself for who and what he really is. And with all his wisdom, he thought he was able to look after only the sheep. And even though he was learned in all the wisdom of the court of Egypt and was mighty in word and deed, still he was looking after sheep. He had become totally dry and empty. God, you see, had allowed that in Moses' life. When Moses became empty, 
God appeared to him in a burning bush. God poured new life into him. God called him to a great ministry. And according to Exodus 4.12, he became the mouthpiece of God. As Moses and the children of Israel are wandering in the wilderness, an interesting transaction takes place between Moses and the Lord. And it's here in Exodus 33. And it illustrates how important the presence of God was to Moses and how much he hungered for that presence. Moses had a more intimate relationship with the Lord than any of us could ever even really imagine. I mean, he met with him face to face. He, he spent 40 days with him uh, on the top of Mount Sinai. The Lord spoke with Moses, the Bible says, as one speaks to a friend. But Bo Moses was not ready to settle for anything less than God himself. And so there's one thing of which Moses is absolutely convinced. If your presence does not go with us, we don't want to go. Because the Lord was pleased with Moses, he granted his request. And then Moses said, down in verse 18 of our chapter, he said, now show me your glory. This phrase, show me your glory, is an expression of a deep hunger, a real thirsting and longing, not only for the presence of God, but for a deeper revelation of God, one that God was happy to oblige. So the Lord said that he would cause all of his goodness to pass before Moses. But he added, if you look in verse 19 and 20, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Obviously, when the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, his glory was veiled to an extent that Moses was permitted to live. Moses was that intimate, that close, that near to God's heart. Now, Jesus made a wonderful promise in the Sermon on the Mount, and it should give us encouragement today to create an appetite for God. In Matthew 5, in verse 6, in the Beatitudes, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Those are wonderful words. Each day, we face different challenges, don't we? We face certain situations where we need to make choices. Life is full of choices. And right, right now, let me just say that you may be facing a choice today that you didn't, you didn't face yesterday. Or you may be facing a choice this month or this year that a month or a year ago you didn't face. It's, life is full of the then and there choices. How often, I wonder then, do you actually seek the presence of God? Do you settle for anything less than God's presence? You see, God's presence in your life can do wonders. In fact, that's the only thing that makes you different from others. <laughs> that's the only thing that makes you different from those who don't know the Lord Jesus, maybe as their Savior. 
It shows to others that God is pleased with you. God was ready to give the Israelites his protection, his provision, even his promises, but he was not ready to offer his presence with them, and that's as a result of their previous rebellion and years of wandering. Do not settle for God's protection, God's provision, and God's promises, my friend, without his presence. When you have God's presence with you, you need nothing more, and you should not settle for anything less. I repeat, C.S. Lewis in his book Miracles wrote, the presence of God is the most real thing we ever encounter. And our title today is Never Alone. So then what is loneliness? Most of us at some point in our lives have experienced loneliness. For some people it's temporary, perhaps triggered by a particular event or some transition they're going through. For other people it seems to be a permanent fact of life. Despite the way it feels, listen carefully, loneliness often has nothing to do with being alone. Hmm. You see, for some people, feelings of isolation are sharpest during times that are, in fact, defined by togetherness. Maybe celebrations or maybe holiday seasons, for instance. You see, you can be surrounded by people 24-7 and still feel lonely, alone in a crowd. But the Scripture says a lot about loneliness and how we're never truly alone if we believe if we live by faith, if we are true Jesus followers. There's a difference between aloneness and loneliness. You see, to be alone means you are by yourself in a physical sense. There's no one there with you. It can be a good thing when you want some peace and quiet, or it can be a bad thing when you're alone in a dark, dangerous alley. But either way, it's physical. Either way, it's just you. Physically. However, loneliness is a state of mind. It's a feeling of having no one to turn to, having no one to, who loves you, no one to care, and it can easily become a state of despair. Loneliness can be experienced when we're alone or when we're completely surrounded by people because it is very internal. Well, let me tell you what loneliness is not. Loneliness is not solitude. Thank God for solitude. Jesus many times would withdraw himself from the, from the crowds just to be alone. Sometimes that worked. <laughs> Other times it didn't because they found him and followed him. Also, loneliness is not lonesomeness. You can be lonesome and not lonely. Loneliness is not isolation. You can be lonely in a crowd, as we said. In fact, sometimes a crowd may increase your loneliness. That's true. Every person has three basic emotional needs. Every one of us, you and I, all of us, each of us has a need for one, someone to love and someone to love us. 
We also need someone who understands and who knows how we feel. And then thirdly, we desire somebody who accepts us and needs us. Why? Because we need to be accepted and we need to be needed. Make no mistake, loneliness is a crippling force. Loneliness is a crippling force because it can affect you emotionally. One survey that was done just a while back showed that over 80% of psychiatric patients sought help because of loneliness, one form or another. And counselors will tell you that loneliness is a leading cause of suicide even. It will hurt you also physically. Over half of the heart patients in this survey were uh, lonely, they said, and depressed before they had a heart attack. Loneliness uh, shows up uh, as fatigue sometimes, as lack of uh, appetite, or could even show up as overeating. And it can cripple you physically. And then loneliness can also cripple you spiritually. The irony is when a person experiences loneliness, and I have seen this happen so many times, that person drops out of fellowship with others. I mean, the very place that he can go to get strength and encouragement, and he drops out, and he sits at home, and he drinks from that intoxicating cup of self-pity and has a hangover called loneliness. You are not the exception. Listen, everyone experiences loneliness from time to time. It's a natural feeling. Yeah, we often forget the proper response to feeling lonely is to turn to God. Because God is always there. He understands our need for friendship and fellowship. He longs to have fellowship with us. So when loneliness starts to creep in on us, first we need to turn to God. He gets it. He can be our comfort. He knows what that is that you're going through. And the closer you move to the Lord, the more of his presence you will have. It's a wonderful thing to be in the presence of the Lord. He, yeah, he may use that time in your life to build your character up. He may strengthen you in times when you feel completely alone and weak and helpless. Yet, it is God that will build us up, and he is going to be beside us in all these times of deep loneliness. The presence of God. The presence of God. Just say that to yourself. The presence of God with us is infinitely better than all outward forms of comfort in time of loneliness. God is with us to counsel us in all difficult and doubtful times and to defend us and secure us against all enemies and oppression. It is, it is true. It takes wisdom to walk alone with God. And it's the only wise course. The writer of the Proverbs in chapter 10, verse 9 says this, the man of integrity walks securely, 
but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. People with integrity live by wisdom, even when circumstances are against them and put them at a disadvantage or causes significant loneliness and hurt. They're not afraid to let God be their guide and strength. They're able to handle the tough situations of life. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 6 that the world in which Noah lived had become desperately wicked, so much so that the Scriptures tell us that God was grieved with His creation, but Noah alone found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So God determined that He would destroy mankind from the face of the earth, but that no one his family would be spared. Noah was commanded to build an ark. Well, that's a large boat, according to specifications God gave him, because God was going to send a flood upon the earth to destroy every living thing except those who were in the ark. And Noah followed God's instructions, even though it had never rained before. And this whole idea seemed ridic ridiculous. And, and, and apparently... No one else believed the message of destruction either, even though Noah preached that message for many, many, many years. So Noah went through all of this rather long season of preparation for something which had never happened before in the short history of the world. And during this season, Noah walked with God. And he walked with God alone. None of us has ever experienced a season of isolation on the scale of Noah's. But most of us probably have been through a time when it, it just seemed as though we were facing our circumstances or problem, whatever it might have been, completely alone. Sometimes it looks as though the season we're in is eternal. It, it'll never end. We'll, it'll never get over. We can't see the way out. We don't know if there's an exit. The hope that one day it's going to be over isn't even there. And as far as we can tell, this is the way it will be from now on. So get used to it. In times like these, we walk with God, here's how, by faith. Because we never know that every season will eventually come to an end. We don't even let that thought think, uh, sink in. I, I don't know what you may be facing, uh, facing today or what you may be encountering or what you've gone through in, in the past or what, what's out there in the future. But from personal experience, I can say that God is always near. God is always there. Regardless of whatever season you're in, God is always there. And he stands by our side. Listen, even when you can't feel him, even when you can't sense him, and the truth is, I'm going to say it again, we are never alone. Well, the question really is, why haven't we fully experienced God's presence in our lives? We haven't fully experienced God's presence in our life because we haven't perhaps actively been seeking it. When we find ourselves... In other words, we only seek God's presence when we find ourselves in a tight spot or when we want something, really want it badly. Why do we act that way? I think it's because we haven't become completely convinced that God's 
presence is the only thing that can strengthen and sustain us. It's the only thing that can help us over our obstacles. Dear friend of mine, listen to this. We can do all things when the presence of God is with us. In fact, we can do it with fullness of joy. Do you have the presence of God with you today? It's important. The psalmist said in Psalm 51, 11, Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. See, the presence of the Lord in our lives is a wonderful experience. It'll strengthen us to overcome all problems and all adversities. In other words, troubles won't be troubles. Distresses will be no distresses. Dangers won't be dangers. God's special presence will turn storms into calms, autumn into spring, winter nights into summer days, prisons into palaces, weakness into strength, poverty into plenty, and death into life. God's presence makes heavy afflictions light and long afflictions short and bitter afflictions sweet. God's gracious presence makes every condition to be like a little heaven. It's a haven to the believing soul. There is nothing, there can be nothing but heaven where God is especially present. Scripture reminds us in Psalm 46, 1, that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. And if you have truly been set free then fear can no longer invade your personal space. History reveals that the great men of the ages has all, have all been, to some degree, lonely men. They produced their memorable works, and they thought their exceptional thoughts, and they did their exceptional deeds within the confines of lifestyles that few other people ever understood. And this characteristic was true of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom Isaiah described in prophecy as a man who was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, one from whom men hid their face. Isaiah 53. The loneliness of Jesus was never more evident than at the cross, where he was not only deserted by man, but he was forsaken by God himself. His piercing cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Came after six hours of agony on that cross. This is the only one of the seven statements on the cross that is recorded in both Matthew and in Mark. Jesus had faced his sufferings, my friend, alone. And near the end of this living death, he quoted the first verse of Psalm 22 to express the darkness and the horror through which he was passing. That agonizing cry of Jesus indicates that more than physical suffering took place at the cross. Yes, there was suffering, more suffering than you and I could possibly understand, but the meaning of the cross went far beyond suffering. One of the most sobering things to consider about the Lord Jesus Christ is that he was the loneliest person who ever lived. When the Lord Jesus came to the earth and took on flesh, he really did become a man. And as a man, he experienced loneliness, loneliness like no one else ever did. 
In Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, Jesus says, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The Son of God, Jesus the Christ, was envious of the birds of the sky, of the foxes of the field. The birds have nests and the foxes have holes, but this lonely son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You can imagine the loneliness in the heart of Jesus. However, Christ's loneliness was not at all the sinful, self-serving, and self-pitying depression that some of us may go through from time to time in life. All this to say, Jesus understands your loneliness. He knows how you feel. Isaiah 53 said it. He's despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And when you get to the bottom line, he alone will meet the needs that you have because Jesus alone is the answer to loneliness. He grew up with no one who really understood the real reason that he came. He taught truths with joy and zeal while there was no single person to fully understand them and nobody to rejoice in them and not even to sit down and discuss them with him. He constantly ministered to countless multitudes, nobody to minister to him. All of his earthly life, his times in prayer with the Father were utterly precious to him, being the only real fellowship he could have with anyone. And this, in turn led to the deepest and most bitter loneliness. For at the cross, as I said, even the Father turned his back on him. You know, once we realize that he's what we need, we'll realize that he's all we need. Most revealing of all, the sight of that one of whom Moses and the prophets wrote trending that lonely way to the cross. His deep loneliness was unrelieved by the presence of the multitudes. Look, he was alone in the darkness, hidden from the sight of mortal man, and no one saw him when he arose triumphant and walked out of that tomb. Though many saw him afterwards, and they bore witness to that fact, You see, there are some things just too sacred for any eye but God's to look upon. The curiosity, the clamor, the well-meant effort to help, that, that only hinders the waiting soul and make unlikely, if not impossible, the communication of the secret message of God to the worshiping heart. Christ said, I will never leave you. And he said, lo, I am with you always. Hey, how can I be lonely when Jesus is with me? Circumstances in life may not always be the best. Uh, The psalmist said this in Psalm 34. He said, a righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. You know most of the world's saints have been lonely. It's a price many of them have paid. 
And one standout of this pious aloneness was a man called Enoch. The Bible says in Genesis 5.24 that Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. You see, Enoch walked a path quite different from his contemporaries. He was the father of the long-lived Methuselah. He was the great-grandfather of Noah. It's said of him that he walked with God after the birth of Methuselah for 300 years and and, and over. It was a long time for a man to support a holy life and a close communion with his God. Enoch holds a rare distinction in all of the Bible because he did not die. Instead, instead, God took him away. I don't know how that happened. Scripture doesn't reveal how it happened. We don't need an explanation of how it happened. The Word of God says God took him away. Enoch walked faithfully with God and kept on walking right into the presence of God. Hebrews 11.5 says that Enoch's faith pleased God. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life, so he did not experience death. God and Enoch were very good friends. Their relations were intimate and familiar. And that familiar of a walk with God is the faith walk. It's a course of life. It's a decision for a direction. You see, Enoch lived before the flood. He was only a few generations, I think seven, from Adam. The race was in its infancy, and only a few revelations from God had been made. There was no Bible then. It was long before Moses received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. My precious friend, I contend, we need to learn anew, afresh, to walk with God. Are you walking with Him? Do you know Him? Is your walk real? Is it meaningful? Is it close? You see, in our English language, we have the word loneliness. That's the pain of being alone. And we also have the word solitude, which can express the glory of being alone. Loneliness can add beauty to life if God's presence is with us. Psalm 42, 5 says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. And then I love... The great words of Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. God says, I know the plans I have for you. Isn't that wonderful? He knows the plans. We don't. We don't ever even seem to understand the plan many times. But he said, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. To give you a future and a hope. God said it. Through Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's not just a nice tune. It's not just clear lyrics. It's not just an empty sentiment. It is the promise of God himself, my friend, to those who are the objects of his love. 
He is there. He isn't going away. With Christ, you will never walk alone. Never, 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 never alone. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the great truth of your word that with your presence abiding with us, we are never, ever alone. Take away those feelings that we have, physical and mental feelings of, of being alone and cut off and ostracized from your love. But, Lord, we know that that's not true. And so as your grace and love fill us today and as your Holy Spirit ministers to us, may we take these truths of Scripture and truths of, uh, that fell from the lips of our Savior and may we realize that with Jesus, we are never, never alone. And we just give you praise, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.